Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Uh, would the men of the church who are willing join me here at the altar? We're going to bow down before the Lord. Would you come at this time? I just can't think of a more appropriate time for us to get on our knees before the Lord. I love a church where men where men understand that they're never stronger than when they're on their knees before the Lord. It's where our strength comes from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Just find your place. And if, by the way, if for some physical reason you can't kneel, just get on one of these pews up front, one of these seats up here. Hallelujah. Men, begin to lift your voices. Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask you right now, Lord, um, uh, to move in our midst. Lord, we've had the privilege of singing your high praise this morning. Uh, we know that uh, you inhabit the praises of your children. And Lord, from grateful hearts, we've lifted up our praise to you. We thank you. We bless you. You're a holy God. You're merciful and gracious beyond our comprehension. We don't even understand that kind of stuff. But we know that we've been the recipients of it. And now, O oh God, our God, the God of all creation, we cry out to you right now. We ask that you move in these next few moments. We pray that your word will become the living word of God to us as we read it, as we listen. We pray, Lord, that it will stir our hearts, that it will change us, draw strangely close to you. O oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you take full charge of this service and glorify the name of our Savior and lift him high. And we thank you again, Father, for what you've done. But we thank you for what you're about to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's always quite a bit of moaning and groaning. <laughs> Not about coming to the altar, but trying to get up after they have come to the altar. <laughs> This morning, I'd like for you to open your Bibles uh, to the books of 2nd and 3rd John. I'll read some scripture out of both of those as we continue on the subject of hospitality. I preached on hospitality last week, and so this will just be hospitality part two. Something very significant, something very important for us to learn here today. Last week, we looked at 2nd John. And the words of John, the Apostle John, to the elect lady. That's what he calls her uh, in Second John. And basically what John said to this elect lady is this. 
He says, I love you in the truth. And then he says, those who know the truth love you because you love the truth. And then he says, uh, it is the truth that binds us together, the eternal truth of God, that makes us a family of faith. And and then he goes on to say to this elect lady, he, he says, all the grace and the mercy and the peace and the love and all those things that we have received from the Father have come to us by way of truth. He's magnifying truth as he speaks to her. And we went over that in detail uh, last week. He wants her to know. He wants this elect lady to know that nothing in the Christian life is more important than truth. And then, immediately after he talks to her about truth, he begins to talk to her about love. That we as Christians have to love, that we have to walk in love, that we have to be saturated with love. And basically what John wants her to understand, and I'm convinced the reason it's in the Word of God, is God wants us to understand that those two cannot be separated. Truth and love, real truth and real love, go together. We have to walk in truth, but that truth must be saturated with love. If you have truth without love, then you do not have the truth. At least you don't have the whole truth. And if you have love without truth, then it's just human uh, feelings and emotions. It's not the love of God that we long for, that agape love of God. And, and so he moves from truth to love. And then based on those two things, he says something to her about hospitality. And we find that in Second John verses 10 and 11. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, this teaching, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You, you see, John is saying to her, to this woman, he's saying, we have to walk in truth, and that truth has to be bathed with love, and we have to love people. Uh, we have to love the brotherhood, and we'll go into this in more detail in just a, a moment, but we have to love the brethren. We have to love those who are in the faith. But we also have to love strangers, and we have to love those who are on the outside. We, we have to love sinners. John is very open about this. He makes it very clear, and, and the Bible does all the way through. But John says this is the one place where we draw the line. And that's truth. When it comes to false teachers, when it comes to deceivers, when it comes to antichrist, when it comes to those who would pervert and distort the teachings of Christ, that's where we draw the line. Those individuals cannot be brought into your home. They cannot be brought into your church. You cannot allow them to teach. You cannot allow them to have that evil influence over your children and over your family. No, you just cannot do that. And by the way, John goes to such an extreme. He says, you can't receive them into your home. You can't show them hospitality. And then he says, you can't even greet them. He says, you cannot greet them with the same Christian greeting that we greet one another. Because if you do, in a sense, you're condoning what they're doing. You're partnering with them. And man, that's a strong statement. It, basically, he says, if you do that, you share in their evil deeds. You see, friends, we are not to show hospitality 
to deceivers, and that is those who are teaching deception, people who are anti-Christ, people who are teaching other than what the Word of God teaches. And, and so, basically, that's where we ended last week, and I ended last week by answering a question, this question, why would the Bible be so dogmatic in this one area? And this was the answer that I gave you last week, because truth is too important and deception is too deadly. Now, that's where we ended last week. Now, we'll pick up in 3 John this morning, but I want you to know that as we move from 2 John to 3 John, the Apostle John continues to talk about the same three things he talked about in 2 John. He talks about truth. He talks about uh, love. And then he talks about hospitality. And once again, hospitality seems to be the urgent matter at hand, the urgent message that he wants to communicate in writing Third John. You see, when we get to Third John, you'll find out, I'll show you in just a moment, that there are three individuals that he calls out by name in Third John. The first one is a man by the name of Gaius. And then there's another man by the name of Diotrephes. And then there's a man by the name of Demetrius. Now, what he has to say and what we will learn about all three of these men have to do with hospitality. Gaius is a man who faithfully demonstrated Christian hospitality. Diotrephes is a man who refused to show Christian hospitality. By the way, he was a leader in the church. And sometimes we have leaders in the church who have no business being leaders in the church. And Diotrephes was a leader in the church who would not show Christian hospitality. And he was hindering the church from showing Christian hospitality. And then there's a final man, Demetrius. And he is a faithful servant of the Lord who is worthy of receiving Christian hospitality. And so basically we have one is doing it. One is denying it. And one is in need of it. And it's all about hospitality. Now let's begin reading in 3 John We'll begin reading in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, John refers to himself immediately as he did when he wrote Second John and when he was writing to the elect lady. He identifies himself as the elder. John is the elder. He is the old man. He is the, as I've said many times from this pulpit, he's the last man standing. All the other disciples are deceased. They're already in heaven. John is the last one of those original disciples who walked with the Lord, who's still alive. He's now well up in age. He is an old man. And part of what he's doing here is referring to himself as the old man, the elder. But the word elder there goes beyond that. He's talking about leading, being a leading elder and overseer of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the apostle. He was the one who had walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the chosen one who was to speak and communicate divine truth. So John is now identifying himself and now he's speaking to Gaius and what he says to him is about the same thing he said to the elect lady in 2 John. 
By the way, have you ever noticed that when a preacher gets on something and the Holy Spirit's got a hold of his heart, he just will not quit? He'll just stay with it and he'll say it over and over and over and over. You think I'm redundant? Man, go to the Word of God. John says the same thing to Gaius that he said to the elect lady. He says, I love you in the truth, my beloved brother. And he says, I love every word I hear that you are in the truth. And I love the fact that you are walking in the truth. And my brother, there is no joy greater for me than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see, obviously, Gaius was someone that John had led to the Lord personally. And he was one of his spiritual children. And if 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 that were not the case, then maybe he sees him as one of his spiritual children because he was the overseer of the church. But nonetheless, John is just thrilled when he hears that Gaius is walking in the truth. Now, I'm not going to stay here very long this morning, but I do want to tell you this, friends. We cannot overemphasize truth. May God help us as a church to fall in love with the truth again. Or or maybe for the first time. May God help us to be a church that's completely dedicated to the truth. May God bless this church to be a church that makes every decision and every move bathed in prayer and based on the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. And so it has to be about the Bible. Before I move on, I just need to ask you. Isn't it time... For you to pick up your Bible again and start reading it for yourself. Isn't it time for you to pick up your Bible personally and to become a student of the truth? I love preaching to you and talking to you about the truth. We have teachers in this church who love to communicate the truth. But I want you to know that the ministry and the mission is not complete until you pick it up for yourself. And start reading it for yourself. And becoming a student of the truth. Isn't it time for all of us to start walking in the truth. According to the word of God. Nothing for you. Nothing for me. Nothing for this church could possibly be more important. Than us walking in the truth. On January the 12th. 1975. I was 23 years old. I was scared. I was nervous. I was about as unsure of myself as any human being on the planet could be. But one thing I knew, one thing, that God had called me into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was so nervous, I I just can't even tell you how nervous I was. But in front of a whole congregation of people just like this, I dropped down on my knees. And one by one, they walked by me and they laid their hands upon my head. And that day, through prayer and through the laying on of hands and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I was ordained to become a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I got up off my knees, a man by the name of Carlton Tucker, before the whole church, 
took this Bible, and I cherish this Bible. He took this Bible, and he handed it to me. And when he handed it to me, this is what he said. These are his words verbatim. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, practice it to be safe, and believe it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to us in life. It will be opened in judgment and remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. Young man, this is the Word of God. And this is what you've been ordained to preach and to teach. And he handed me this Bible. Oh, friends, isn't it time for the church and for the people of God and for individual Christians to get back into the Word of God like we've never been in it before? To devour it and to search for truth. I can tell you this, friends. If you'll pick your Bible up and you'll start searching for truth. I don't mean just do your daily Bible reading so you can check the calendar. But I'm talking about if you'll pick your Bible up and you'll start reading this Bible and searching for truth. The Holy Spirit will get involved in that search and the Holy Spirit will begin to lead you. And the Spirit of the living God will begin to reveal truth to you and lead you to truth. And not only will you discover truth, but it won't be long. You'll understand why truth was the most important thing to John. And people just like John who wrote the Word of God. Because they came to know the truth. Pick up your Bible and change your life. Pick up your Bible and change your family. Pick up your Bible and change your church. Pick up your Bible and change the world. Why? Because this is truth, and there is nothing on this planet more powerful than truth. Now you say, well, what about Jesus? What about God? He's the God of truth. Jesus was truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and this Bible is the word of truth. When you pick up this Bible, you're taking up what God has given you. Now, I want you to remember everything we say from this point on will be based on truth. And, and so, so what we have is we pick up in verse 5, and he's going to move into hospitality. He talks to Gaius. Beloved, we're in chapter, I mean, we're in Third John, verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. 
If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of the truth. In other words, we don't want to be partners with those who are deceivers and share in their evil deeds, but we do want to be partners with those who are teaching the truth and share in their work and what they are doing. Now, let me just explain to you what was going on. In those days, there was no church building like this. Churches met in homes and they were scattered all over the country. And these traveling preachers and teachers, proclaimers of truth, proclaimers of God's word, would travel all around the country and they would minister to these churches. Now, when these traveling preachers, these proclaimers of truth, when they arrived in the area wherever Gaius was, and I don't know where he was, but when they arrived where he was, guess what Gaius did? This man that John loved so much. He opened his home. He opened his home to them. He gave them Christian hospitality. He took them in. He gave them lodging. He fed them. He ministered to them. He supported them. He gave them money. In fact, Gaius did that to such an extent that when these traveling preachers and teachers left him and continued around the country, guess what they did when they went from church to church? They couldn't quit talking about Gaius. In fact, if you please, he had kind of set the gold standard for hospitality. Gaius was the example. I I, I mean, he, he says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. You, you see, John has heard this. John has heard this. He's heard about what Gaius is doing. It's his son in the ministry or somebody who who has come to Christ under his leadership John is thrilled to the point that John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And John knew he was walking in truth because when you have the truth and you love the truth, you love people who love the truth and you want to help people who are sharing the truth. And that's what missions and ministry is all about. And then verse five, let's pull that back up again. It says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Not just the brethren, but for the brethren and for strangers. Christians are to be loving, caring, ministering, helping, and showing great hospitality to one another, to those who are in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who are ministering truth, but also to strangers. In Romans, the 12th chapter We're given a long list of things we as Christians are to be doing. And right in the middle of that list, we find these words found in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That's what Gaius was doing. This is hospitality. By the way, do you know what the word hospitality means? It means love of strangers. That's what the Greek word means, love of strangers. This thing about hospitality and the love of strangers is deep in the heart of God. This will take me just a minute, but you've got to see this. From the beginning, this was God's plan. Exodus 22, 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. 
Deuteronomy 10, 19. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Exodus 23, 9. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger if you know the, uh, if you know the heart of a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. See, the Lord's making this clear. Leviticus 19.34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. You have to treat strangers like family. When was the last time you treated a stranger like family? Wow. It says, as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. If you're going to love God, you have to love strangers. The Bible even throws in something that's kind of intriguing for all of us. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers for, strangers for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Or one version says, entertain angels unawares. I dare say almost every one of us here in this building have at one time in our lives run into a real angel from heaven. Maybe some man, some woman, a stranger. We didn't know who it was, but it was an angel. And you didn't even know it. But the Bible says, be careful the way you treat strangers. That's how important it is. Let brotherly love continue and entertain strangers. You see, friends, the true family of God has never, ever, listen to me, the true family of God has never been this exclusive family. Man, we need to talk about this. We've never been this exclusive family where we separate ourselves from the world and we do our own thing and we cut ourselves off from everybody else. That's never been in God's heart. That's never been a part of God's mind. You see, from the beginning, God has given us clear instructions that we have to love people, not just those who are in my family, not just those who are in my church. We have to love those on the outside. We have to love the strangers. We have to care for them. We have to reach out to them with Christian godly hospitality and try to reach them. Now, by the way, we're basing all of this on what? Love and truth. Love and truth. Not just love. You don't abandon the truth when you reach out to strangers. You carry that truth to them. This is not a compromise of the truth. You stick with the truth. But then you saturate it with love and you reach out to people. You see, God will not allow you to have a double standard. He won't allow me to have a double standard. God won't allow this church to have a double standard. You cannot be an outsider who becomes an insider who no longer wants to have anything to do with outsiders. Do you need to hear that again? You cannot be an outsider who becomes an insider who will have nothing to do with outsiders again. See, that's a double standard. And God won't allow that. If somebody helped you, then you have to help somebody. If somebody befriended you and took you in, then you have to befriend others and take them in. That's what this is all about. If somebody loved and cared and ministered to you when you didn't deserve it, 
And you have to love and care and minister to people who don't deserve it. Again, I have to keep saying this because if we, because of the trend the church is going in, but we have to do it based on love. We, I mean, based on truth. We can't ever compromise the truth. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to reach out. The goodness of God that has come to you must also flow through you. It just has to reach out to other people. By the way, did you know that in the Bible, Jesus was called a friend of sinners? Did you know that? The Bible says he was, he was a friend of sinners. Now, do you know who called him a friend of sinners? Critics called him a friend of sinners. It was derogatory. They were trying to discredit him before the world. And so they called him a friend of sinners. By the way, those are some of the most beautiful words I've ever heard. How about you? Friend of sinners. Does that make you want to jump up and shout hallelujah? Man, if he had not been a friend of sinners, none of us would be here today. He was a friend of sinners. That's right. <clears throat> Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, they say, the critics, they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by our children. Oh, I love that. See, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he never compromised the truth. He was the truth. He never gave one inch on the truth, but he took the truth and he was so full of love. That he went into the fellowship of sinners. That he might bring them into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride of Christ, the church itself. You see, in those who followed him, his children testified that he was not compromising. He was fulfilling the mission of God. I wonder when the world looks at us, do they see us as a friend of sinners? I was out of town on a trip, and I got up one morning, and I went to a little breakfast nook to get some breakfast, and it was just a little small hole in the wall, that's what it was, probably couldn't get over 15, 20 people in there, and you could hear everything in the restaurant, and so I ordered breakfast, and I overheard from another table a man, shabbily dressed, talking to another man, and I couldn't help but listen Actually, I was trying to listen. <laughs> but he was teaching him his trade. And the thing that really caught my attention is he said this. He said, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, you can travel from coast to coast and it won't cost you a dime. And I can tell you exactly how to do it. In fact, when you travel from coast to coast, when you get to the other coast, you'll have more money in your pocket than you got right now. And you won't have to, you won't have to do any work at all. And this is what he said. He said, stay off the freeway. Don't get on the interstate. He said, avoid all the big cities. Go through all the little towns. And he said, every, every little town you come into, go knock on the door of the church. Just make up any old story you want to make up. Just tell them anything you want to tell them. And he said, those church people, he said, you can't hardly get help anywhere else, but those church people will give you money. They'll give you a place to stay. They'll put you up in a hotel room. 
They'll buy gas for your car. He said, just make something up. And he said, I'm telling you, you can go all the way across this nation and not hit a lick at anything, have money in your pocket. He said, it's a free ride. Now I want to ask you a question, friend. Isn't that the most wonderful thing you've ever heard in your life? Wait, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's the most terrible thing. No, it is not. Is he wrong? Yes. Will he have to answer before God for such behavior? Yes. But that does not change the fact that even the heathens in America know that the church is the place to go when you need help. Wow. The church. Man, we should be known as a place that could be taken advantage of because we have so much love. And, and I, I, I've laughed about that many times. I've seen Christian generosity. Man, it, it is an amazing thing. And, and I want to tell you, when it comes to hospitality and generosity, the Bible talks about rewards. And I'll do this very quickly because I've got a lot to share with you here. But rewards. Now, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm you know, sometimes a little confused about rewards when we get to heaven. That's a bit of a mystery to me, but I know it's true. L- listen to this. Matthew ten forty through 42. Jesus said, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet. By the way, do you know what the word receive means? It means you take them in. You show them hospitality. You meet their needs. You give them a place to sleep. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. See, literally the Bible is saying if you support a prophet, you get to share in that prophet's reward. And if you support a good man... A righteous man, you get to share in his reward. And as a disciple of the Lord, if you just help somebody with a cup of water, I assure you, just a cup of water. Some of you are going to have rewards waiting for you in heaven. And it was such a small deed. You don't even remember what you did, but you did it because Jesus lives in your heart. You didn't keep a record. You didn't write it down. But I want you to know God did. He didn't forget it. You see, friends, the idea is this. We, the people of God, have to always be ready to show hospitality and to help those who are serving our God. God promises to bless us and reward us for that kind of hospitality and support. But wait, don't you love those commercials on television? But wait, there's more. Not just the servants of God. But those who are poor, those who are outsiders, those who are outcasts, Luke 14, 12 through 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers or relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Now, why was he saying? Because these people were total outcasts. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
See, when you show hospitality to people who cannot repay you, God says he will repay you at the resurrection of the just. Come, come on, are we all guilty here today? Are we all guilty? When was the last time? Somebody stand up and testify. When was the last time you threw a party, but you didn't invite your family? You didn't invite your friends. You didn't invite your neighbors. You didn't invite anybody to try to impress them. You invited strangers and poor and needy people. Because God wanted you to show hospitality to people that don't receive it from anybody else. You hear me? See, this is what the Bible's talking about. I love to watch hospitality in action. And by the way, some of the greatest steps of hospitality and, and acts of hospitality I've ever seen took place right here in this church. I'll, I'll share one with you. And I, 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 wish I, could, I wish I had an hour to tell you this story, but my, I and my family were down in Columbia. I met a preacher down there. Uh, by the way, who, by his own words, was on the verge of giving up the ministry and sounded to me like he was suicidal. I met him. I talked to him. I fell in love with him. I, I, I recognized him as a man of God. And I said, man, what do you need? My wife was with me. Carolyn was with me. Uh, uh, Lee was with me. I said, man, what do, what do you need? He said, well, I've been trying to build a church. But he said, he said basically what he said is God has let me down. He's not here. He's not helping me anymore. And I said, wait, wait, wait. That's too soon. What do you what do you think? And he said, I said, tell me what you need, man. Just tell me what you need. He said, well, I'm halfway through building this church and I'm, I'm trying to build this church for the glory of God. And he he said, and I'm out of money and nobody will help me. I said, what do you need? He said, I need thirty five. And so help me. I thought he was about to say thousand dollars. He said, I need $3,500 and I can finish this church. I said, you need $3,500? And I said, uh, can you fly into the United States? Do you have a card? Can you get in? This preacher said, yes. I said, I'm going to send you a ticket. I'm going to fly you into Tallahassee and I'm going to bring you down to Sopchapi. We were in Sopchapi those days. I'm going to bring you down to Sopchapi. I'm going to put you up in front of my church. You're going to share your story and we're going to take up an offering and we're going to raise $3,500 and you're going to come back down here and finish your church. He said, oh, I can't believe. I can't believe that. I said, yep, that's how simple it'll be. I said, we raised $3,500 $3, on one Sunday easily. Don't worry about it. So he flies into Tallahassee. I pick him up. We go to Sopchapi. I put him up in front of the church. He tells his story. Those of you who were there in those days, you remember, he shares his story. Something weird happened to me because I was getting ready to get up and say, we need $3,500 to support him so he can finish building his church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, don't make that announcement and don't take up an offering. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, my goodness. I promised him. I mean, really, it was one of the clearest words I think I ever got from from the Lord. And I'm thinking, OK, well, I'll I'll. I'll somehow I'll give him the $3,500 because I've already told him I can't go back on my word. So I didn't make an announcement. We didn't take up an offering. And when that service was over, I saw one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I saw, I don't think anybody in the house left without going and giving him money. And he had, he had money sticking out pockets. I mean, everywhere <laughs> they were in his back pocket. He had checks. He had money everywhere. And, and so 
we went to a life group. In fact, we were at your house, Dallas, that night. We went to a life group. And at the conclusion of the life group, people just started giving him more money. And so by the time I get him back to my house, I said, okay, angel's name's Sandor Angel. I said, okay, angel, I got to know, man, how much money did you get? And he started unloading his pockets and we counted. He had $8,000 given to him that day. He went home, finished building the church. There's an amazing ministry there. And by the way, there's a sign on the front of the church that says, Affiliate of River of Life Church. Oh, you got to get this now. Sop Choppy, Florida. <laughs> when I saw that up there, I, I, it was just amazing to me. So I go down to Columbia. By the way, by the way, listen to me. Do you believe God's word? Say amen if you do. Amen. Every person who gave so much as a dollar to him will share in the reward on Judgment Day for everything that happens in that church for the glory of God. Every person who gave... By the way, when somebody comes into this church and they're ministering, give them, at least, give them something. If you don't have any money, go get a cup of water. Take God at His Word. Go get them a cold cup of water. Give them something. Minister to them. By the way, I fly down to Columbia. I go into Coloto, where the church is. I go in to preach the sermon. I've got to tell you this story. Forgive me. I'll be quick on this. I, I go in. This is the most amazing thing that ever happened to me in ministry, I, I believe. I'm sitting on the front there. I'm going to preach. Angels will interpret for me. And, and so I'm getting ready to preach in a church that we finished building. And I'm so excited about being there. And the service begins. And man, they were pumped up. And the celebration was going on. And all of a sudden, this one uh, young lady, early 20s, falls out of the congregation, runs to the front. She begins to twirl. She begins to dance. And, and through the worship service. And she, I, she was so gorgeous, so beautiful. And just, I, it was hard for me to worship because I just wanted to watch her worship. I'd never seen anybody worship like that before. And I thought, man, this girl is an angel. And I leaned over to Angel and I said, who is that? And he gave me her name. And I said, what is her story? Please listen to this. He said, well, it's a long story. I'll tell you part of it now, but I'll tell you the rest later. But I'll tell you enough so you'll understand. He said when she was a teenager, her father sold her as a slave. And he said, and I don't have to tell you what kind of slave. He sold her to a man 50 years older than her. The father owed a debt and he couldn't pay it. And so he sold his daughter as a slave to this man. And he said, this man forced her. And she ended up having a couple of children with him before she was even 20 years old. And he said, he's held her like a captive. But the only thing this man would let her do was come to church. And he said, this church, by the way, this church, you, you're going to share in this reward. He said, she came to this church and a year or so back, she got gloriously saved. He said, when I tell you she got saved, 
he got saved. He said, I've never seen anybody so excited, so thrilled, so, so full of Jesus. It was just amazing. And said, this is the way she worships. And he said, we all understand. And he said, but there's something special about today. I said, what is it? And he said, well, I've been announcing for a month or so that you would be here. Our preacher from Florida would be here and you'd be preaching. And she's been getting ready for this day. And he said, she asked me to pray and other people to pray. And she's had a mission. She went back to her father. And she said, Dad, there's one thing I want to ask you to do. I want you to come to church with me on that particular Sunday. And then she went to the man who bought her. And she said, I've I've got one request. I want you to come to church on that Sunday. An angel leaned over to me and said, her father who sold her and the man who bought her are both in church today. And he said, she's up here celebrating because to her, this is the greatest day of her life. Now, friends, let me just stop there. And I want to tell you, by the way, let me do this. Now, remind me again, what was that you were complaining about yesterday? What's so bad in your world right now? Oh, friends. You see, you see, she met Jesus. And that eclipsed everything else. And if she can forgive her father, you can forgive your father. And you can forgive your mother. And you can forgive your brother. And you can forgive a husband or a wife. Don't tell me you can't. You see, failure to be able to forgive is just acknowledgement that you're not close enough to the one who can forgive you. That's all it does. And, and man, she, she was there. and you. T- so I got up and I preached my heart out. And, and a miracle took place. I can't explain this. But I had a camera and I was taking as many pictures as I could. And I got up and I preached. And when I finished preaching, people started coming. And, and I didn't even know this until after the service. But I had the privilege of leading her father who sold her and the man who bought her to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And they both repented and invited Jesus into their heart. When I got home and I t- an angel was telling me, do you know you led them to the Lord? And I said, no, no, I don't. I don't. Who were they? Which ones? And he tried to describe them. And I, I didn't know who it was. And then we took the camera. And to this day, I have no clue. But somebody picked my camera up. And started taking pictures. And I have pictures of both of those men. Bowing before the Lord. And leading them to Christ. Oh friends. Friends I want to tell you. We will share. We will share in that reward. It, it, will, it will be something we will rejoice. And a thousand more. A million more that we don't even know about. I'm just trying to get you to understand. That basic to the Christian life. Is this thing of hospitality. It's who we are. It's basic to our ministry. It's basic to our mission. We can't carry out what God wants us to do. Without hospitality. Friends. Hospitality. Shows the world. That we care about them. I I pulled this up. I know you've seen this a thousand times. But people won't care how much you know. Until they know how much you care. And that's the reason God has us on this path. You, 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 you see, friends, 
that showing great and generous hospitality is a sign that we are people of the truth. Now, we'll pick up right here next week, and we'll look at Diotrephes, the man who refused to show Christian hospitality. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.